Right then, welcome to uh, episode two, week three of the Tackling the Premier League podcast with your host, Jack Sosa17, alongside Jay Sub, the Boob Suber, and uh, BJ, the Germ Jackson. Welcome, guys. How are we doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Yep, just another day. Love to hear, love to hear. Well, we got a lot to cover, so we might as well just jump right into it. What an exciting weekend. You know, this, I, I feel like when, when you look at this weekend, it looks like uh, the Premier League just decided to turn itself upside down, and it was just impossible to predict this weekend. But uh, we'll start with the 7.30 game on Saturday. Wolves at Spurs at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. Somehow, Antonio Conte finds himself on the sideline for this game, guys. What do we think of that? That one wasn't as much of a shock to me as Tuchel on the bench for Chelsea. Interesting. So you think Tuchel should have been should have been suspended before Conte? Yeah, I mean, I think both should have served a one-game suspension considering they got themselves red cards last game. But um, I, I think they eventually will serve a suspension, but I, I agree with you. It should have been the week right after, like a player is. Let's just go ahead and get it over with, stop all this bull crap. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, they got fined, um, but uh, no suspension from the Premier League as of yet. But – that's not what we're here for. We're here for the action and the games. Spurs, two summer signings in uh, Yves Basuma and Richarlison, neither have started a game for them this year. Basuma's yeah. come on as a sub in all three, though. I believe Richarlison's come on in all two as a sub, except for the first one, which he was suspended for. So, And we kind of all knew like the Spurs uh, starting 11 was kind of set with except the exception of those wing-back positions. They like to switch those players out, which is what they've kind of been doing this season already with Perisic and Sessing on. So, I mean, their whole like core is kind of set up. So, it's going to be tough for Richarlison and Basuma to come in over Son or Kulisevsky or, you know, uh, um, the other players for Basuma. So. Yeah, Kulu yeah. would be the one um, to come off for Richarlson, but you got to start him considering the form he's in. On the opposite side of the pitch, wasting no time was Bruno Lage bringing in uh, Matthias Nunes and Gonzalo Guedes in their debuts at, at Tottenham Hotspur. What do we think of their uh, of him throwing them straight into the lineup? I mean, I kind of expected Nunez to get thrown right into the fire and play a full 90 minutes, which is exactly what he did. I was kind of surprised to see uh, Guedes up there, up top. He's, I, I remember him from um, Valencia, correct, over in uh, La Liga. So he's a pretty good player. I'm happy to see him in the Premier League and see what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, with how uh, Wolves have been scored, I mean – why not throw something a little bit different whenever nobody else can find the back of the net for him? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Jimenez came on uh, as a second half substitute, trying to make a difference, trying to trying to chase the game. But we'll, we'll get to the second half first. We'll start with the first half. You know, I think the I think the theme of the game for Tottenham Hotspur were attack that left side, attack that left side where Perisic was the. Uh, left wing back and, and try to create down that left side of the field. They hardly attacked down that right side of the field. It was very left dominant. When Wolves were in possession in in, in Tottenham Hotspur's half of the field, there were 11 Spurs behind the wall. Kane was the highest up the pitch, and he was all the way into his, his defensive third. It was almost as an effort as, hey, look, we're not going to give up a goal. We don't care. How bad it looks, how ugly it looks, we're definitely not going to give up a goal. And and they did just that, didn't they? 
Yeah, that might have been why Wolves looked so good in possession early off, but that could have been also Matthias Nunez's impact coming in. Mm-hmm. Wolves dropped the four at the back that they started the first two games of the season with and went with three at the back for the first time this season, which is interesting because they let go of Connor Cody, their captain and their England cap center back, so that they could play four at the back because Cody wasn't suited for that. And now they've switched back to a three at the back. Just an interesting thought. Wonder what Bruno Lodge is going up with there. Uh, I think he might have played that uh, the three at the back just to counteract uh, Tottenham's three at the back because his players are so used to playing it. Don't want to, maybe didn't want to throw like a new formation right at Tottenham who execute that three at the back really well. But like you said, Tottenham just straight up attacked that left side and really called out Neto. Um, on his defensive first. struggles, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Neto. Just made an early impact. I mean, just wide of the post with a header from a ball uh, from New or Neves. I mean, a yard on the other side, he had Larice beat uh, in goal. Yeah, yeah. Forty-first minute, uh, Nunes chance header wide of the post. That was a that was a definitely a close one, and that would have been an awesome debut away from home. Go up one 0 versus Tottenham Hotspur on the road. But just wide of the post, as you said, and just three minutes later, Spurs got their first shot of the game by way of none other than Harry Kane and an amazing save by Jose Saw to keep it nil-nil going into halftime. Yep, yeah, but that's all. I was pretty much cooking the first half for each team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll make I'll make the statement now before we get to the goal because he obviously kind of gave up the goal, but. Nathan Collins looked the part for the the first half and then the first 10-15 minutes of the second half, obviously m- making a mistake for Harry Kane's goal, but he looks like a true center back and, and, and could be one for the future. We'll keep an eye on him. Absolutely. Only 21, too, so definitely one to keep an eye on. Made a game or made a goal-saving tackle on uh, on Hunman Song, who was 1v1 with the keeper. But in the 64th minute, a goal from Harry Kane off of a corner, and Collins just lost him. I mean, Harry you could call him Harry Houdini instead of Kane. He just disappeared from Nathan Collins' defensive marking. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I mean, just like you said, Collins looked really good. Really, I think all game except for that one moment. So he just has to uh, play a full 90 and put it all together. I mean, fellas, that goal reminded me of a goal I saw the other weekend. Did it remind you all, remind you all of one? Yeah, straight off the training ground, um, looked like Gabriel Jesus' goal. Um, exactly. Yeah, it hit off uh, somebody at the short post. Uh, but Tottenham actually executed it. They had the Perisic hit it at the front post and flick it onto the back post, whereas Arsenal, I feel like, like I said last time, it was planned, but a defender got a head on it, header on it instead of one of our attackers. So props to Tottenham for the goal. It was a great-looking goal. Definitely one straight from the training ground, like you said, Justin. How about Spurs taking one from the rivals? From that point forward, I mean, it was just kind of a it was just kind of a Spurs take the piss game. I mean, not necessarily waste time, but just a professional performance from Spurs, keeping Wolves, ushering them away from the goal, keeping Jimenez quiet. Games one nil. We'll move along to the ten o'clock games. Uh, Everton at Goodison Park taking on Nottingham Forest and. Everton started with Rondon up top. Uh, the first time they started with a true striker in their lineup all season long. And on the off, they were they were on top of Forrest, but did not last long. 
Forrest then began trading blows with Everton back and forth, back and forth. Game was 0-0 at halftime. Well, I mean, it seems like they listened to our last podcast and uh, us saying that they needed to start um, a true number nine and to go after the game early. I, I completely agree with that, Justin. They, they they definitely pretended like they were down one nothing, I guess, and, and, and brought some firepower to the uh, first half of the game, but not enough quality, not enough quality to break through in the first half. Um, actually, you know, I think Rondon only played about 65, 70 minutes, uh, was taken off. And then Everton switched to uh, McNeil, Gray, and Gordon up front, which uh, lack of a striker allowed Nottingham Forest to get a foothold in a game. Uh, Everton just could not get into that half of the pitch. And uh, Nottingham Forest broke through in the 81st minute by way of a Jordan Pickford save straight into the path of Brennan Johnson, who finishes calmly across the face of the goal in the side netting. Uh, what about that finish from Brennan Johnson, guys? I mean, I think we'll see more of that from Brennan Johnson. I mean, he led force last year in the championship. So I think there's more to come from that kid. Absolutely. He is a bright spot in that Nottingham Forest team. He shined for him last year in the championship. It was a main reason they got brought up, so I'm happy to see him. The Premier League scriptwriters are just so cruel to Everton Football Club because Everton were in for Brennan Johnson at the beginning of the year if Forrest didn't get promoted. Of course Forrest get promoted in, and then of course Brennan Johnson scores in his first game against Everton. Um, at that point, uh, it looked very abysmal for Everton Football Club. Uh, couldn't get anything going. But they made something happen in the 88th minute by way of a Jordan Pickford assist to Damari Gray. Ball over the top. Damari Gray, beautiful touch. Slots it underneath Dan Henderson. Uh, 1-1, and Goodison Park erupts. What did we think of that assist, guys? I mean, such a nice ball. He played it three-fourths of the pitch up all the way to Gray, and Gray calmly just slots it past him, just like you said. I mean, props to him for looking like a more of a number nine there. Jordan Pickford, in his career for Everton, now has two Premier League assists. No other Current Premier League goalkeeper has more. Later in the game, about the uh, one minute of stoppage time, Anthony Gordon, who has been heavily linked to a 50 million pound move to Chelsea, found himself 1v1 with Dean Henderson and the ball in the air and was unable to lift the ball over Dean Henderson. Dean Henderson making a great save with his upper torso um, and keeping it 1-1. That would have been a massive moment for Everton to, to, to just snatch Three points away from um, not no force there. Uh, what do we what do we think of Gordon's potential move to Chelsea? If if uh, if that's a good move for his career, and if that's a good move for Everton Football Club, I really don't know if it's a good move for his career, man. I uh, like it kind of reminds me of like a Ross Barkley kind of move here. Yeah, I mean, is he going to see the pitch? Uh, you, you see, Chelsea are are uh, trying to give away Hakeem Ziyech. He's been rumored away. Uh, the struggles with Christian Pulisic are obvious. I mean, you, you see that all over. Obviously, Sterling's a lock for that team. I don't know why Kai Havertz is a lock for that team. He is just abysmal. We'll get to that. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of the Richarlison situation. Will Gordon actually get to see the pitch? And if he does, what kind of impact will he have? And and I, I think he's making the move for a chance to get to the World Cup. But... Is he is he really at the level to reach England's World Cup squad? I just I'm, I'm not sure. But 
enough of uh, the Everton Forest game. We'll move on to the uh, another ten o'clock game. Um, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, and boys, what a start to this game we had! I, just absolutely off the gun. Two teams sprinting out of the blocks. Aston Villa taking early lead by none other than Ollie Watkins. Good goal by him, man. Great finish. Surprising yeah. early in the game. I didn't think they were going to come out like that. I was more expecting Crystal Palace to come out like that. But, man, did he sure slot that away. Great header from Leon Bailey, too. Good long ball to start the play by Mings. And, like I said, just flicked on uh, from Bailey. And Watkins just puts it home. I mean, that's all you can say about that. Just nice way to start the game for from Villa. Too bad they couldn't keep it up. Absolutely. That was only three minutes into the game. Three minutes later, uh, a goal, a, a tying goal came from Crystal Palace by none other than the man in form himself, Wilf Saha. And, and what form that he is in. When he is on it, guys, he is, he is absolutely one of the best wingers in the Premier League. He, when he is confident in his ability and he's carrying the ball like we know he can, he, he truly is, is a, a special player. He, he breaks away on a counterattack. The angle did not look to be there for him, but he struck it hard and low with his left foot and put it right in the side netting. Yeah, it really looked like a similar goal that he had last week against uh, Liverpool. Yeah, I was very happy to see him take that shot with his left foot instead of trying to get it on his right foot somehow. And he did take a really, really good shot and squeezed it in there. So really happy to see Zaha playing well right now. Last goal from him. Uh, Yeah. So 1-1 inside of six minutes. The game cooled off a little bit from then. I think both teams kind of settled down and said, all right, we can't keep this up all game. Um, It wasn't until after halftime, the 58th minute, that Xu scored again. Wilford, the man Zaha. Well taken, Penn. I mean, not much uh, Luka Dean could have done, but his his arm was out. So by definition of the rule, got to be given as a pin. And then uh, a late strike later in the game by Jean-Philippe Mateta, who came on from Edward, to uh, finish Astonville off 3-1 there. I really think uh, Mateta should be starting for Crystal Palace right now. He does have that physical presence that you want in your number nine. Not to say that Edward's small at all, but Jean-Philippe Mateta is a giant. He is. He is kind of what you want with this, like, target man system. I mean, if you're taking him off for Edward, I think Edward played pretty good up until that point. He but, did. Like, you're up, you are right. Maybe Mateta is kind of like a super sub type player. I said either one of them could come on as a super sub. I mean, depends on how you want to start the game, you know. Um, moving on, Ulam taking on Brentford. Uh, late goal. By Mitrovic in the 90th minute. Of course, another towering header over yet another unsuspecting defender. Uh, Caps it off 3-2, but we'll go through each goal. Uh, It started in the first minute. How about that, guys? Early, early goal by Bobby DeCordova-Reed. Yeah, just a bouncer in the box, and he took advantage of uh, Brentford not clearing it. You know, you always want to get off to a quick start. A 1-0 lead is, is never a bad way to start, but it only took 19 minutes for Fulham to break through again by way of uh, Zhao Paulinha, uh, 2-0 in the 20th minute. Yeah, he had a free header as Brentford. Uh, you just got to do better defending your corner right there. Yeah, absolutely. He had a wide of I was pretty surprised by that, but 
Good job, by the, uh, Fulham. And and I think this was the story of Brentford's season last year as well. I mean, you put in some just truly spectacular performances. No one expects you to do like last week four 0 against United, and then come up, follow it up with just inconsistent play and drop points to um, a newly promoted full team who is not bad. I mean, obviously they've had some decent results already this year, but again, I just I think that that. Uh, Brentford need to be a little bit more consistent if they want to reach the levels that they that they aspire to. Um, but with that being said, 24 minutes later, right before halftime, Christian Norgard draws one back. What a set piece from Brentford, fellas. That was playing all along, just perfect placement. They had the, the pick play going on right to no, no guards of the clear space. And what a volley it was. I mean, you had two players trying to pick up three there, and uh, Brentford took advantage. A couple of disallowed goals there uh, in in this one. Um, the first one was by Tony. Uh, he had an equalizer right after half off a nice turn. Shot near post, no stopping it, but just offsides. Just a hair offsides. That would have been the equalizer um, early in the second half, which could have changed the game. But the equalizer did come in the 71st minute by way of Ivan Tony. Yeah, I'm really happy Ivan Tony was able to get his goal finally. He's been working for it, and it really came through for him in, what, the 71st minute? That was a nice pass to him in the middle of the box, and the right striker knows where to be at the right time, and that was him. Absolutely. It was a, it was a good strike to make it 2-2. And then, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Alexander Mitrovic with yet another towering header over yet another unsuspecting defender. Um Three two and, I- and what a header it was to score to win the game, man. He directed that header. He got above the defender so well. Beautiful as he, header, as he does so well, and we know um, from the first week as, as he did over unsuspecting Trent Alexander Arnold. What a derby it was! It was their first time in the uh, the top English flight of football. That's right. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Good stat, Justin. What do we uh? What do we think of Fulham's chances of staying up this year after the first three weeks of play? I like it. I told you I think they'll stay up. Yeah, a draw two two with Liverpool, a draw zero zero with Wolves, and then a three two win over Brentford. Um, and they have none other than the hottest team in the Premier League right now. Next week in Arsenal, Leicester Southampton, and I think this is one of those games that you just you don't <laughs> expect from uh from a professional side like Leicester are. A two-one Southampton. Um, Shea Adams with a brace after going behind by a fifty-fourth minute James Madison goal. Justin, yeah, he had a free kick um, right outside the box on the right side of it, and decided to go around the wall and uh, just put it into the near post. I mean, great free kick by Madison there. He's been absolutely. There uh, in his last few uh, Premier League games as well. Yeah, he has. He's he's definitely been the bright spot of this uh, <laughs> of this Leicester lineup, and we we can't not mention it. Uh, there was a gaping hole in Leicester's defense for this game. Uh, one of their star young center backs, Wesley Fafana, asked to be left out ahead of a linked move with Chelsea Football Club that they still have yet to agree on a on a price for Fafana. Um, yeah, he's actually training with the U23s right now because he missed the day of training here as of late. Well, what Fab said that 
uh, Lester turned down uh, seventy million. Yeah, which is wow. Yeah. So Lester really wants him. So I don't understand why he just won't play it out for Lester this season. Prove that he should be there or not be there, but be a starting center back in the Premier League and get sold in the summer for even more. But understand the move. Maybe he wants Champions League football now in his career and try to go for maybe World Cup with uh, France. To that point, if he balls out for a struggling Leicester squad and shores off that defense, you'd think he could get that call up from France. Very yeah. true. Moving forward, Shea Adams brace coming in the uh, 68th and the 84th minute. Two Two goals. I mean, yeah, it was a great cross in, and then uh player was at plenty of time able to chest it down. Really surprised by that first one, that Lester was able to give him that much space and chest it down and pass it to Jay Adams where he had an easy shot. Overall poor defending there. I mean, maybe if Fafana's in, like we've been talking about, he can step up and make a difference there. Exactly. Worth noting, Shea Adams did not start this match. He was actually subbed on. Um, and he was definitely the definition of a super stub, rallying his team to victory 2-1 over Leicester at the King Power Stadium. Yeah, the second goal was a nice uh, scissor kick played in uh, by Elianusi on the cross. Yeah, great contact and a, and a great finish from Shea Adams on that one. We'll move to the final game of Saturday, and I think this may be BJ's favorite part of the podcast. Um uh, a overall dominating display by who I believe to be the best team in the Premier League at the moment, at least which, the hottest Which team. we all called a domination on the pitch there. We all called it. Two minute, two goals inside of 11 minutes, both scored by Martin Odegaard. And you have to say, Bournemouth just didn't look like they were ready for this one. Oh, no, absolutely. Arsenal knew they'd come out, come out on the front foot like we did. We can just take this game by the throat and never look back, and that's exactly what we did, and I'm happy we executed it. Yeah, Arsenal did dominate a very weak Bournemouth squad that we all think is a lot for going down. Absolutely. It'll take them a miracle yep. step. But, you know, just two quick goals very early to start the game really deflates the team. And I mean, that second goal, I mean, what a pass in by uh, – a cross, I should say, by Ben White into the box. And Jesus took a kind of a big touch, and that big touch just happened to fall right to Odegaard. And, boy, did he put that one away. And I, I believe there was a VAR check on that one. It, it just looked from, – from where I was sitting, it looked completely offsides. I did not even see the player in the central part of the field that was holding him onsides. Just barely a marginal call. And a uh, 2-0 lead very early for Arsenal. Yeah, so about the third goal. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Saliba! Yeah, so let's yeah. let's talk about Saliba's goal. He he receives a layoff um, on the edge of the box and just puts his boot through it in the top corner. And my God, is he uh, announcing his name on the brightest stage right now in the Premier League? He did it last year in League One, but, fellas, this, this is on the biggest stage, and... He is executing right now. Absolutely. Two goals in three games from William Saliba. Uh, one in the right, right goal, buddy. one in the wrong goal. Yeah, but he, all seriousness, I, he is uh, making his case uh, be heard for the French World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think he's come into this Arsenal team and provided a little bit more um, support at the back line. And, and worth noting that Alexander Shinchenko makes everyone around him better, and I think he also helps William Saliba to be better. Um, just with his positioning and his leadership, 
I noticed, you know, m- multiple times in that game, you know, when Zinchenko asked for a move from City, he, he told the clubs buying him that he wanted to play the midfield, his natural position. He didn't want to play left back. He's bought by Arsenal, stuck at left back, but when in possession of the ball, he comes inside and Xhaka moves out to that left back role. What do we uh, what do we think of that that minor switch in, in, in team shape there from, from Mikel Arteta? It's gotta be on purpose. Oh, it's absolutely on purpose, and Zaka even gets forward most of the time too, which I really like. Yeah, you're he's playing. Not, he's not necessarily sitting back; he's more on the uh, front foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. you're also playing a natural center back in uh, Ben White out wide at right back right now, and it seems like they fall into a back three whenever they have the ball, with Jinchenko having kind of a free roam role. And he's a dangerous player to to allow a free roam role too. I mean, we know his technical ability, but his his tactical awareness and and his his ability to find the open man and and just lead that team has has been beautiful. But we also have to talk about the other citizen that has moved to be a gunner, uh, Gabriel Jesus, and and not on the score sheet today, but wow, what a player! Uh, his know. presence his presence was definitely felt in the game. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and can can these two and the entire Arsenal team fight for the title? I absolutely believe so. I, I think they are no longer a dark horse for the title. I think they're a favorite for the title. And, and this sure is just three so, season, three weeks in the season. I sure hope, Joe Jack. But man, bright and early Sunday morning, Leeds at home at Ellen Road welcome Chelsea. And like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Thomas Tuchel. Welcome to the sideline, not specifically by the Ellen Road crowd, but by the Premier League allowing him to be on the sideline. Chelsea just, you know, they they looked like they weren't really up for this game. I mean, uh, uh, barring an early chance by Sterling in the first half where he, he cut inside on that famed right foot, dribbled through a couple players and had a shot. Chelsea did not look like normal Chelsea, did they, guys? No, they were second favorite all game, it seemed like. Especially after they went down um, from probably my favorite player right now and Brendan Aronson just pressing Mendy and getting it one off his foot and scoring a no-look goal. I mean, Aronson had Koulibaly in his pocket all game, spinning left and right on him. Got that early, early yellow card on him, which made Koulibaly just have to play nervous the rest of the game. Ninth-minute yellow card for Koulibaly. And that that ended up hurting him later in the game, where Chelsea couldn't press and try to just and you know get one goal and maybe something could happen. And I think it needs to be said, Aronson's actually the one who gave the ball away in that attacking move that Chelsea received the ball and played it back to Mendy, and and Aronson put the pressure on Mendy, who has been known to make mistakes with his feet in the past, and folded the ball right to Aronson. Uh, even before the ball went to the back of the net, Mindy's yelling oh, at his yeah. defenders for whatever reason. I'm not. I'm not certain. You know, he could have just cleared that or kicked it out of bounds instead of just giving it right to the attacker. But uh, Aronson cre- gives the ball away and creates himself a goal in the 33rd minute, and it only took four more minutes for uh, Rodrigo to score a second. It was a free kick given away in dangerous half, and Harrison took it nicely for him and um, found Rodrigo's head, and he finds the far corner. Put him up for nothing. Yeah, great execution by Rodrigo. Really happy to see Leeds playing like this under uh, Jesse Marsh. It's it's a beautiful sight to see Ellen Road excited, ecstatic on their feet. And 
it's especially a beautiful sight to see <laughs> Jesse Marsh sort of sprint down the sideline and jump in the air with a nice fist pump, almost Tuch- Thomas Tuchel like last week at a at a Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Moving forward, uh, a Jack Harrison in the money minute, 69th minute goal uh, to basically put this one to bed. Not that Chelsea stood much of a chance in this game, anyways. It was just a well executed uh, cross and should have gone in the first one of the first two attempts, but that those shots weren't executed well and it just happened to bounce to Jack Harrison, who was in the right position at the right time. Yeah, and the build up play up to it was nice as well. Just a great team goal there. It really forced home their dominance all game. Yep. And I think it has to be said, you know, it wasn't that Chelsea didn't have any chances in this half, but Leeds United have, who is one of the better goalkeepers in the league, and Ilian Melier, um, as a young goalkeeper as well, with their gloves on. I mean, he really showed some top drawer saves, um, especially the shot against Reese James. And um, Chelsea just seemed to be missing a little bit of bite. They seem to be missing a goal scorer up top that, that can really get it done. Not saying Raheem Sterling can't. He looks very frustrated every time he makes a run and doesn't get the ball. But they they seem to be missing a, a, an out-and-out goal scorer. And it, it, Do you I, think Aubameyang's the answer? It, it pains me to think that they spent $100 million on Romelu Lukaku, had him for a season, didn't work out so well, and just loaned him back to Inter Milan. I don't think it's the type of striker that, that fits uh, Tuchel's system. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a shout, but is Aubameyang the type of striker that fits Tuchel's system? Because Kai yeah. Havertz obviously isn't. Yeah. I mean, bring up Kai Havertz. That's a player who's been defined by one game in his career, and it wasn't even, it, it wasn't even in the Premier League. It was um, his Champions League winner a couple of years ago. Absolutely, and it's a 1v1 chance with Ederson that he slotted away. And Other than that, I mean, Kai Havertz has been very uh, underwhelming for Chelsea. Not that they spent a lot of money on him, but compared to other players that they spent a lot of money on. But um, one one thing I noted was after Aronson's goal, the whole of Chelsea sideline looked upset and mad, and there was one player bent over looking down the sideline to watch Brendan Aronson celebrate, and that was Christian Pulisic. And he just looks like a man who wants away bad. I mean, also got to think that's one of his international teammates too. He's always got a spot in his heart for him. Speaking on uh, Pulisic, I'm, it's it does it's a suck, sucky situation for him. Absolutely, he's not getting the playing time he needs to get right for the World Cup. But he's in no situation to where he's in like worry of missing the World Cup. As long as he stays healthy, he's gonna be at the World Cup. He just needs to stay focused on the training pitch, and hopefully, he is right when it comes for USA. I agree with that, but in order to reach a player's top form, they have to play games. I mean, the training oh, pitch, yep. the training pitch is one place, you know, and that's that's a good part of it. And and you're gonna get a little game time in, in training, but in order for Christian Pulisic to be in Christian Pulisic esque form, which we need him in as the United States, he's got to be playing games. And he's currently not getting those games. He's getting what 20, 30 minutes here and there. It's just not good enough. And and if he's not good enough, he needs to move to a team where he is good enough. I completely agree. Don't want to lead this off. Uh, Jesse Marsh celebrations. Absolutely stellar, as I mentioned earlier, with his Thomas Tuchel uh, parody. He also, after the third goal, with a 
beautifully executed Gronk spike of a water bottle to make <laughs> to celebrate his team's third goal. I definitely didn't want to leave that one off. That's something that needs to be noted. What an American. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just love to see his celebrations on the uh, sidelines. Or really late in the game, you had Cooler Bobby pick up a stupid second yellow on a foul on Joe Hart where, I mean, they're, you're already down 3 nothing in this game. It's over with. You start to think about your next a little bit in that situation. And they're already short at center back. Um, and then they got Lester next week. And you know how Jamie Vardy is pressing that back line. So does Ooh. it cost him next week? Probably not, uh, knowing how leaky Lester can be. But still, it leaves the door open for him to get a point or two. Speaking about that, how they play Lester, I'm, I'm Lester. I'm not selling Fafana to them when they're probably going to play him right against us the next weekend right now. Heck no, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm holding out. I'm holding yeah, out. I would too. So, I mean, that's a great point. So I really don't think they'll, uh, we'll see Fafana in a Chelsea jersey until at least after – uh, next weekend. Interesting. Interesting thought that. Actually, also at 9 o'clock at the London Stadium, Brighton versus West Ham. And, and this is an interesting game because Brighton are – Brighton, Hogue Albion, and Graham Potter look like a very, very, very solid team. And, and like I said last week, they, they're an organized unit who work together. Just running through their results here. 2-1 win on the opening day versus Man United. Uh, a no-no draw versus a very good Newcastle team. We saw that later in, later on Sunday against City, which we'll get to. And then um, a two-no win versus West Ham away from home at the London Stadium. Um, what do we think of this game? And and, and what do we think of of, of Brighton Hove Albion? Guys? Well, to to add on um, their their starter on the season, the only goal that they've let in was an own goal too. So moving forward, they could. I mean, we were talking about top six last week. They could easily fall into that role. And that, that's not to mention, this summer they sold two of their better players, I should say, Mark Kukurea and Yves Basuma, and have placed them almost seamlessly. And now here they are getting them results against teams that you would not expect them to get results against, uh, looking at it on paper. But here they are. We'll, we'll go with a 22nd-minute Alexis McAllister penalty uh, to put them up 1-0. New boy Kyer gives away a penalty. Uh, McAllister steps up and takes the lead. It was just on the edge of the box. VAR checked it, said, yep, absolute penalty. Uh, confirmed the call on the field. And yeah. McAllister puts it speaking away one now. Speaking about that uh, foul, yeah, he might have started the tackle outside the box, but you make contact right on the line. So got to be given a penalty. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad they're getting stuff a little bit uh, right this season. Absolutely, yeah, it does seem to, that the that the, uh, the VAR has has done a decent job so far this season. But I don't want to give them too much praise yet after the howler that that they had last of last season. Brighton seemed to be on top for the majority of the first half. West Ham were creating chances here and there, but nothing too too clinical and too sinister. Uh, not enough bite really coming from West Ham. You start to think, you know, here we are. We're in match week three. And it's halftime. You're down 1-0 to Brighton at home. And West Ham, in two and a half games, have yet to score a goal. Mm. Mm. And that's got to be questioning. Got to be questioning the coaching staff right now at West Ham. Like, what, what, what's going on there? David Moyes, yeah. I, and that's after spending $75 million this summer. 
yeah, what, $30 million or something like that on striker? I forget how much they paid for him, the Italian striker. Yeah, Gamaka, yeah. But uh, moving forward in the second half, uh, a 66-minute goal by Leandro Trussard, who looked lively and dangerous the entire game, sealed a 2-0 win for Brighton um, at West Ham. And I thought it funny. I was watching the game in the 84th minute the entire stand across the field from where the camera was that you could see at the London stadium, about 90% of the people had vacated the field. And we know, we know the game of football. You anything can happen. I mean, West Ham don't look like it, but they could have come back and, and scored two goals and rescued a draw or even, it, it, it's just amazing. The West Ham fans seem to be pretty, pretty upset with the way their team is playing right now. Um, a two 0 win for Brighton possession, 50, 50 uh, shots. You know, three on target for West Ham, two on target for Brighton and Hove Albion, two goals as well. How, what about that efficiency there? It wasn't like West Ham were completely dominated this game. They they had their chances, and they had the ball a pretty good amount of the game. They just, again, just like Chelsea, they're missing that bite up top. What do we think? Yeah, I mean, they they didn't have a lack of chances. It seemed like they were just missing the final ball in a lot of cases. They looked really good on the counter. Absolutely. So here's a question for you guys. Is... Is David Moyes considered hot seat material? I I would agree, yes. I mean, a Europa League final last season, a loss in that. And then um, this season started off three losses, zero goals, three weeks in. West Ham have uh, Aston Villa next week, a team looking to get back on it after uh, that, that loss to Crystal Palace. And then West Ham after that have Tottenham Hotspur, Chelsea, Newcastle and Everton. So that is a, well, other than Everton, that is a difficult run of games for them. And who knows if, if uh, Moisey will still be in charge by, come Halloween. Yeah, that is a tough run of games. Moving forward. This has a shout for game of the weekend. It could go hand in hand with Brentford Fulham, but uh, 3-3 uh, Man City at St. James's Park versus Newcastle. Uh, Man City t- off to a, a fast start. Fifth minute, Ilkay Gundogan goal uh, puts them up one nothing early. But Newcastle just wouldn't go away, would they? No, the way this game started, I really thought Man City was just going to up. Here's another Man City game, just going to play possession, press when they need to, and run away with this one. So, really happy with the way Newcastle did not give up in this game and was re- uh, resilient and came back. Absolutely, and I think Newcastle played, um, obviously we'll get to the rest of the goals, but looking at the stats at the end of the game, I think Newcastle played in the way that you have to play against Man City in order to get a result, and with only 31% of possession of the ball, but 12 total shots and six of them on target. I mean, that's that's efficiency on the counter at its finest, and Eddie Howe's been known for that. I mean, they did not look bad pressing either, and like you said, they looked really good on the counter, um, and that's where... Most of their goals came from, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, their first one, uh, Miguel Almiron, 28th minute uh, strike, comes just in time to tie the game 1-1. And VAR had a look at this, agreed that it was clean, and, and allowed the goal for yet an, a second celebration from Miguel Almiron, <laughs> which we love to see. That drew him level, and... They that one just wasn't enough for him, was it, guys? Callum Wilson only eleven minutes later, two one, City down, 
not something you're used to seeing if you're a City fan. What uh, what what's going through your mind right there if you're Pep Guardiola? Maybe change the tactics and have Kyle Walker play more of a right back role rather than getting in the middle of the pitch. I mean, he was getting beat all game long. I mean, Alan St. Maximum's a good player, especially whenever he has the ball with his pace. But I mean, you can't just keep getting beat like that. Absolutely, and Kyle Walker's not one to known to get beat for pace. Um, so that was definitely impressive from from Alan St. Maximum, who we know has pace and a great dribbling ability. Yeah, absolutely. He has uh, he is top five in. Uh, European top five leagues with uh, take ons completed. He is eleven. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, he's definitely uh, an exciting player and one to carry the ball forward. And Newcastle just refused to go away. <laughs> a third goal after halftime from what is just an absolute brilliant free kick from Kieran and Trippier. You know, the wall set up on the right side of the goal, Ederson set up on the left side of the goal, and Trippier puts it in the top bins on the left side. Says, Ederson, I'm going to make you save this. And like you said, Justin, in a text message, just, I'm not sure anybody could have saved that. Yeah, I mean, great free kick, top 90 to – he just dared the keeper there. And I rewatched the game again today, and I still don't think anybody could have saved that. No, that's just a well-taken free kick. Couldn't have placed it any better, honestly. Hey, Ball um, going away from the keeper, so it was tougher to save. And we know Kieran and Trippier can hit those. I mean, he's 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 got a brilliant free kick, doesn't he? Well, part of the reason why Newcastle splashed on him last year. Absolutely, and what a great buy that was. But City would not be denied. They come back um, off of a short corner. Ball crossed in. All bouncing around, Newcastle can't clear it, and Holland with a thunderous strike from about six yards out, almost ripping the net. Three two, picks up the ball and does a haul and run back to the halfway line. And did you see what he did as he was running back? Oh yeah, he uh, lifted up his ear and pointed around to the crowd. Oh yeah, he wanted to hear that noise that he they were making won- when they went up three one. The young man wants it. Yep. Yeah, I love what I'm seeing out of him early. What we have to note as assist of the season so far, you know, just a pass that no one, no one on earth except for Kevin De Buena would see. Um, a ball played in to his feet. Chris Willick standing about 10 yards away from him, puts the ball directly through Chris Willick's legs onto an on-running Bernardo Silva right on the PK spot who slots it past Nick Pope to make it 3-3 and a tie game. And, a brilliant pass from Kevin DeBrenner. I mean, it, it cannot be said. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. It's all over social media at the moment. What do we think of uh, his vision in that pass? I mean, you said it. There's nobody on earth except for KDB right now who could have found that pass. Exactly. Uh, y'all said it right. Uh, with the goal he scored uh, last week to the another's pass and assist this week, the man's doing it all right now. Pretty tough not to call him probably one of the uh, – de- one of the best, if not the best player in the world. Needed to be mentioned, Nick Pope. Absolutely brilliant today. Multiple what a bargain bargain signing for Newcastle. We just stole him from a relegated Burnley. Absolutely. And it's a brilliant player. Like 11 or 12 million euros or something like that. Yeah, what a steal. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason he made Alan Shearer's team of the week this past weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, he, save he, after save he, to keep Newcastle what? in it. 
he's only what twenty uh, thirty, so he's not even that not old not that old for a goalkeeper. Oh, thirty years old is not it's not too old for a keeper or, or really most players on the pitch. Moving on, uh, a bit of uh, controversy. Trippier um, trips De Bruyne to stop a counter. Originally on the field, straight red card. VAR asks the on-field referee to go to the screen to have a second look, which he then overturns the red card and proceeds to give a yellow card, and Newcastle stay with 11 men on the pitch. I'll get BJ's opinion first, and then we'll hear Justin's opinion, and then I'll give my own. I, I mean, at first when it happened live, I did think it was a red card, and then when you look at the replay a couple times, I am sure glad it got taken and back and was a yellow. I'm glad we're making the right calls once again by VAR. I mean, an argument could still be made, though, for the red. Uh, there was no attempt made on the ball. It was higher up on the knee, and it was on a city breakaway. So it could have very easily stayed a yellow, but with how the Premier League's being called more physical this year, I could definitely agree with the yellow card. Um, just as long as everything stays consistent, no argument for me on a yellow if it's called the same way the rest of the year. I agree with you, BJ, and you, Justin. Uh, originally, on-field call looked exactly right. It looked to be a straight red card. Um, you know, you, you got to take into account, if, if that's a foul and he, t- and he grabs him with his arms and just stops him, you're going to get a yellow card for a tactical foul stopping, you know, a counterattack, right? But it wasn't, you know, a soft foul like that. It, it was a, a, a foot, you know, it, it looked slow-mo that his studs were up he actually put his studs down but he was high up on kevin de bruyne's knee um you could make a case that it that it could have injured the player and a red card could have been shown there and it was shown there originally it, it was rescinded and and made to be a yellow and, and i think it's a very similar tackle that Allen had on Allen saint maximum uh last season Allen saint maximum is breaking away in a no-nil game um, Allen goes and, and he just he, he puts his foot on Allen St. Maximum's foot. He leaves he leaves the ground two feet in the air. One foot's obviously behind him as he's sliding, and, and the other foot's going for Allen St. Maximum's foot to trip him up to stop the counterattack. Going for a yellow card on the field. The referee shows the yellow card. VAR stops the game, looks at it a couple times, and gives it a red card. My question is, do you think VAR sat down this summer, the referee sat down this summer and looked at all these different calls that were controversial and said, okay, we got this one wrong. If this kind of situation comes up next year, we need to make sure that we correct it. Or do you think these are just two separate instances that that two separate referees call it differently? If they're not sitting down as a group of referees and doing something like that, then then that's poor uh, just league play, I guess. Because, I mean... They should have to go through some sort of training like that. And if they want to call it more physical this year, I mean, they definitely need to sit down and all come to an agreement on what is and what isn't a straight red and a yellow. Yeah, I completely agree with that, uh, what Justin was saying. The refs, they need to uh, get on the same page, even if it's one way or the other. Just do all make the same calls. Consistency is key, isn't it? Yeah, which I think VAR is finally doing this year, which is, I mean, it's only only three weeks in, but let's give them credit where credit is due. They're, they've changed so far this season. Yeah, other than the hair pull last week with Spurs and Chelsea. And, and we actually, the ref, the VAR ref actually came out and apologized and said he got that one wrong. So, I mean, at least he's coming out and owning it. Yep. We didn't hear a word from him last year. 
Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Consistency is key, and, and uh, it seems that we're getting a little bit of consistency barring that one call. Yeah. I think it. I think my last comment on this game, I have to add, uh, second week in a row, Phil Foden has a chance to assist to Erling Holland for a tap-in. Um, could have changed yeah. the game. Could have gotten City three points. Instead, tries to shoot it himself and doesn't score. Does Guardiola drop him next week? If Grealish is healthy, I know he had, I think it was a hamstring injury this week. If he's healthy, ready to go, him and Bernardo are my two starters next week. He at least sits the first half. Mm. Mm. City next game uh, is uh, Crystal Palace. Obviously, you know, I think they, they have a game before that. It's Barcelona, actually, and a friendly, which is interesting. That's on Wednesday. But, uh, they play Crystal Palace on Saturday, and it needs to be said, you know, Foden, you can't nitpick every attack like I said last week. But this is becoming kind of a, a habit here, and, and there's there's not, it's not like Foden is irreplaceable. I mean, you have Riyad Mahrez on the bench, who didn't play at all this past game, um, and you have Julian Alvarez as well, a young guy waiting to get off the bench as well. And then, like you said, Grealish, if he comes back healthy, is, is waiting there as well. So it's not like he's irreplaceable. Foden's going to have to start making the right decisions because that, that could have ended the game 4-3 and City could have could have gone away with this one with the points. I have one more question for you guys on this one. After watching the uh, Chelsea-Leeds game, if you're Calvin Phillips sitting on the City bench, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, you're under... Rodri, who did not look very good this game, I will say. Um, he did end up with an assist, I'm pretty sure, on the Holland goal. But you got five subs, Pep. Use more than one. Yeah. Right. And also, I think uh, Calvin Phillips, he'll get his playing time in the Carabao Cup and stuff like that. And when uh, in the Premier League games, when they have to start playing Champions League. So I feel like he'll still get his playing time. And he'll show enough to where he... In a system like Man City, he's not going to be the type of player to really mess up anything. At least I don't see him doing it. So I really feel like he'll still get his playing time enough to make the World Cup. I mean, this is a player who started every game in England's Euro run and obviously suffered injury after after that Euro run with Leeds. And then uh, Leeds sold him to City. And, and now here we are in a World Cup year and he's he's not even getting off the bench. I just I, I worry about his England place coming up in, in December if Gareth Southgate decides to go uh, a different route because again, Calvin, like we said with Christian Pulisic, Calvin Phillips isn't getting the game time. Obviously, Greg Bellhunter cannot drop Pulisic no matter what kind of form he's in. He's one of our better players, but in Calvin Phillips's case, it's it's a very different case. And I I wonder if he can't get off the bench. I mean, even in just in a couple Carabao Cup games and FA Cup games, I mean, that may not be enough to make that England team, which is very 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 competitive. Monday afternoon. Uh, Underneath the floodlights at Old Trafford, the Theater of Dreams, right before the game, Man United parade their new $70 million signing, Casemiro, around the field uh, to get the fans just right into the thick of it. And from the off, Manchester United looked like a team on a mission. Uh, yep. Eric Ten Hag decided to drop his captain, Harry Maguire, best player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo, quotation marks. Um, and he just he dropped Fred. He also dropped Luke Shaw, and he started... Elanga, he started Marcus Rashford, he started Shancho, and he started Malassia in uh, in in the left back position over Luke Shaw. What do we what do we think of those decisions from Eric Ten Hag, Justin? Oh, I liked it. I mean, to start off with the last one, Malassia, he looked great um, all game, worth every penny of the little bit that they signed him for. 
And then I agree with dropping Ronaldo. I mean, you know he wants to leave. He doesn't give you anything in the pressing style of play that Ayrton Hag likes to play. I agree with that. Um, it was a good decision to drop Harry Maguire. It needed to be done. He needs something um, underneath him, you know, I guess a fire lit underneath him or something just to realize, oh, shit, my spot's not just guaranteed to me in this team. So I need to actually play and try a little bit more, I guess. Absolutely. Um, first goal, Jaden Sancho. Uh, it's a beautiful one-two with Alango on the left side of the pitch who then crosses across to Sancho. Sancho chops Milner, sends him for a hot dog and then slots it into the bottom left corner. And you have to wonder, after watching that replay a couple times, one, what is Virgil van Dyke doing? He had all the time in the world to close down while Milner was getting chopped, but instead he just stood there watching the play happen. And two, what is Trent Alexander-Arnold doing? He's the one who got one-twoed. You know, Alenga uh, passes it inside, runs past him, gets the ball back. Instead of hustling back to get into the box to potentially stop across, Trent Alexander walks across the face of the box only to watch the ball end up in the back of the net. One no Manchester United. What are our thoughts on those two players' uh, lack of effort on that goal? Well, we've all seen the memes uh, for VVD this week. I mean, nobody knows what he was doing except for maybe ice skating out there. Yeah, pretty rough showing by uh, Virgil van Dyke and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, we don't expect too much out of Trent Alexander-Arnold on defense, but at least give me some hustle out there. Absolutely, and Milner, yeah. Milner right into Virgil van Dyke's ear uh, as they were getting the ball back to the to the halfway line. Uh, he letting them have it, not happy with this performance and it, for that goal, and uh, it just continued from there. Um, it, it, uh, this is the seventh game in a row that Liverpool have gone down uh, to start. Moving on, uh, Liverpool kind of kind of got back in. Man United kind of stopped pressing as hard after they went up one 0 Liverpool kind of got back in it, and uh, halftime could not have come sooner for Manchester United as Liverpool were solidly knocking on the door. What a, you know, Liverpool had a couple of chances there at the end of the first half. Uh, Man United held out to keep it 1-0 at halftime. And then uh, the second goal, I mean, just, just wow, what a breakaway. 53rd minute, almost right after halftime. Just inch perfect as soon as the ball was. I mean, you looked at the, the freeze frame without the lines on it, and it just it looks like Rashford's offsides. I mean, it, it really did. It, to the naked eye, it did. VAR rules him onside. 2-0 United, and Old Trafford is just on fire. Yeah, the thick lines are helping the attackers this year, that's for sure, which I like to see. More goals, more entertainment. Yeah, I could agree with that. Still looking at it, though. It's hard to think that he's onsides. Very hard, especially with the angles that were provided with us. But, you know, you can't argue with computers, I reckon. Um, worth noting, Malcia, Martinez, and Erickson absolutely shut down Salah through 80 minutes of this game. I mean, bar one or two chances here or there, Salah could not get anything working. He started wide 1v1 versus Malcia for the, for the majority of the first half. Um could not get anything working, and he started to move inside on on Martinez uh, to try to make something happen there, and still couldn't get anything working um, until about the 80, 81st. Great David De Gea save off of a, a volley from a Liverpool player, and and Salah's there just to head it right back down into the goal to bring Liverpool back to one. 
Um, Bruno Fernandez, first one to grab the ball out of the net, is holding on to it, trying to take the ball to the halfway line, and it just gets jumped by Firmino and Salah. Maybe a little bit of piss-taking by Fernandez there? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows what he's trying to do there. Take his time. I mean, that's exactly what they were trying to do, essentially. They knew that Liverpool likes to come back, and more time off the clock is less of their chances to do so. Liverpool's first loss since December of last year, um, and, and no Ronaldo on the team. Martinez winning more aerial duels than Virgil van Dijk in this game. Um, and, and, wow. And Martinez just having an overall dominating performance uh, straight from the off, puts a tackle in on Mosaw and then gives him a nice bump with his shoulder saying, you're not coming around here and getting anything easy. Uh, really a statement from him. Um, a short statement, I should say, because he is a little short, but a, a, a true statement from him to, to say, hey, I'm in the Premier League and I'm ready to play. Yeah, and to be fair, um, maybe if Nunez is there not on a red, you got somebody that can play that nine. And you also have uh, Bobby on the bench to start the game, whereas you only have um, Fabio Carvalho to come off the bench. Uh, and that's your only other attacker. I mean, he's this is his first year in the Premier League. He did play well at Fulham, but, I mean, he's not Premier League proven yet. Um, Liverpool still have not won a game this season. I. I mean, tell of two different teams for United uh, to, from the first two weeks to this week. I mean, they look like a completely different team out there, which moving forward is something to definitely watch. Maybe this past week in training, um, Ayrton Hag went and lit a fire up under that squad. <clears throat> we'll have to see how they play next weekend. Yeah, he definitely must have. And uh, speaking of next weekend, we'll go ahead and uh, move forward to predicting our prediction right. part of the episode. First up, match week four, Southampton, Man United, 7.30 at St. Mary's. Um, I got uh, Manchester United continuing their run of form of one win, making it two wins. 2-1, two, Man United. Yeah, I'm going to go with Man United as well. Um, Southampton has come back the last couple weeks to at least scrape a point out, but I think United keep the uh, performance from this past week going. I agree. I think Manchester United has a has a performance that deserves them of three points, and I think they get them. Moving forward, uh, we'll move to uh, the GTEC Community Stadium. Um, Brentford play host to Everton Football Club at 10 a.m. Who, who do we have there, guys? I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm excited to see it um, at Brentford. So, hmm. It's a tough one. I, I kind of see, I see Brentford winning in a very good two-one game as well. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with a draw in this one, but I think it is a very competitive game throughout. I think Justin hit the nail on the head there. I think we, uh, I think we have a nil-nil draw here. Uh, not a lot of fireworks. Everton again without, unless they can bring a striker in. Um, just gonna be a. a, a a lackluster performance from Everton, and I think the defense is strong enough to keep Brentford out. Uh, 0-0 draw there. Potential for game of the weekend here, guys. Uh, Brighton, Hove at Albion, host Leeds United. Yeah, I agree that this could be the game of the week. Um, two stronger-looking squads uh, from the first three weeks. 
I'm going to say Leeds get two pass, though, um, and win two to one. I have uh, I have Brighton with the three points as well here. I think I think the the overall collective of Brighton looks really good, and I think they get the job done versus Leeds. Moving forward, Stanford Bridge plays host to Chelsea versus Leicester. Yeah, I think this is going to be a draw. This game, Chelsea, I uh, think they're going to come out with not as much firepower up top like we've been seeing this season, and then obviously they're missing Koulibaly in the back, which is going to hurt them. I think Leicester's going to come out and kind of be surprising people. I see Madison maybe getting another goal, which would be nice for him. But, yes, draw. Yeah, I'm honestly feeling a draw in this one, too, 1-1. One, one. Interesting. Uh, I think I'm going to take – I think I'm gonna take Chelsea with three points on this one. Uh, I don't think they'll. I think they'll miss Koulibaly in the back. They'll be a little shaky, but um, Leicester seem to be struggling to get off the mark. And uh, you know, if Fafana doesn't play, they they don't look to be the same team that they are. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Chelsea gets the three points on that one. Moving forward, Liverpool play host to uh, Bournemouth. Who do we have in that one, guys? Uh, I got Liverpool winning this. Like we've been saying, Bournemouth is not the team. To do it, uh, they're going to be in the relegation battle all season long and not going to move out from that position. I see Liverpool picking up an easy three points. Yeah, no arguments here. Liverpool with easy three points. I'll take Liverpool for three points as well, guys. Moving forward, Manchester City hosts Crystal Palace. I could see another uh, game happening like uh, Manchester City-Newcastle, but Man City coming out on the winning end of this one. I see Crystal Palace hopefully getting off to a – Good start, maybe scoring early with the Zahar as as a goal, but I see Man City getting three here. Yeah, I see um, City getting three here as well. Obviously, Vieira is going to take some pointers from Newcastle, but I think Pep goes to the drawing board as well, figure something out tactically for us. I'm going to stick my neck out here and uh, go with Crystal Palace on this one. Crystal Palace, one loss in their last five games. Uh, City with one loss in their last five games as well, but um, I think Crystal Palace goes on the road to the Etihad Stadium and makes something shake. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 2-1 Crystal Palace. Moving forward, Arsenal-Fulham. Who do we have there, guys? Uh, I think this is a very intriguing game, and I would take Fulham, but the only reason I'm taking Arsenal here is I think our fans at the Emirates are going to bring this team alive and with no injuries from what I've been reading from this team, I think we're going to win this one. Arsenal with three points, 2-1, maybe a little 3-1 action. Yeah, I got Arsenal as well, 2-1. I mean, Mitrovic has shown for Fulham that he can get a goal. So I'm feeling he gets their one, but 2-1 Arsenal. Yeah, I got three points for Arsenal as well. Uh, Moving to Sunday, bright and early. Sunday morning, um, Aston Villa, West Ham, two teams struggling for form here. Who do we have? This is a good, uh, another intriguing game as well. West Ham really need the points here. I haven't even scored a goal all season, so very, very tough. I see, I think we might have a 1-1, nil-nil draw here. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one for West Ham. Um, I'm going to go with Villa 2-1, actually. I'll take Villa in this one as well. Three points for Villa. Uh, West Ham really looking shaky and, and a tough tough road of games ahead. The other 9 o'clock game, Wolves-Newcastle. Um, this is what I think my game of the week is going to be right here, fellas. 
I really like both of these teams, the way they're playing right now. Newcastle with their new signings look pretty good. and then I mean, not Newcastle, Wolves, I apologize, with their new signings look pretty good with Guedes and uh, Nunez. Um, and Newcastle just coming off of that well, hard-fought draw with Man City. See this one being a pretty good one. At uh, Wolves, uh, I see Wolves getting uh, some three points here. Yeah, we all know Jose size tough to score on, but I'm still going to go with Newcastle here, um, two to one. I'm pretty sure Jimenez will be good to start the game, though, for Wolves. Yeah, I think if uh, I think if you're going to beat Newcastle, you got to bring some firepower and you got to score goals. And I don't think Wolves have that at the moment. I think um, Newcastle over Wolves, three points for Newcastle here. Uh, moving forward, the 11:30 game, uh, Nottingham Forest hosts Tottenham Hotspur. As much as I would love to see Forrest getting this one done, I think Tottenham are just on a roll right now. Very solid, steady team. Starting 11 is not changing too much. See Tottenham getting the win here. Yeah, and I think Son gets his first one of the season um, to win 2 nothing Spurs. Yeah, I think you'd be crazy to vote against Spurs here. I'm going to go with uh, Spurs in a three-point three-point win here and that about does it for us guys that's uh, all the time we have today uh if you've made it to the end of the second podcast we greatly appreciate it tune in uh at the end of next week because we do have midweek games for game week four and uh or excuse me game week five and uh we will be right there ready to do another podcast for you guys we really appreciate it cheers